end. Just remind me. Praise God. Thank you if you want to just play a little bit. I know it's a little unorthodox, but keep keep on that. You won't relent to that. Go ahead and turn with me over to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Song of Solomon. It's just after Proverbs. No, Ecclesiastes, excuse me. It's just after Ecclesiastes. Oh, my, my. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. This was planned, by the way. I wasn't. Uh... It says, set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. The most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth in his house, it would be utterly despised, nor he would be utterly despised. Father, I ask for your touch as we get ready to bring this word out, Lord, and give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reveal to us the depth of your word. How can we do what you have called us to do unless we know you? Unless we know what drives you, what sparks you, what you are impassioned about. So I ask for the grace to bring this out, Lord. Give me the words to speak as you in turn give everyone else here the words to speak. And I thank you, Father, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. True love cannot be bought with earthly treasure. Um, unconditional love. God's kind of love. That's what that last line there means. When If a man would give for love all the wealth in his house, it'd be utterly despised. The NLT version of that says, if a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be scorned. How many of you know God purchased us? A legal transaction was made in the heavenlies when you accepted Jesus and he Bought you with his blood. But, you know, that only came for you to you personally because you responded to God's love. You know, the word said that we love him because he first loved us. If he had not first loved you, you could not have responded to that love and you could not have loved him. Okay. Because there are many people out there who refused Jesus to his face. Refused him. 
And so because they reject Jesus' sacrifice, they do not belong to God. He did not purchase them. He wanted to. Because love cannot be bought. He can't buy somebody's love. Or he, yeah, because he gave them a choice. He can't buy it. He can purchase them if they respond to his love. The only thing that uh, my heavenly father desires is your love. Well, that's the primary, foremost thing on his mind and on his heart. Because Jesus said, he who loves me will keep my commandments. So if you express love to him the way that he desires you to, then he has what he desires. He has your love. And that love that you have for him will drive you to do things for him you never thought you could ever do. <laughs> I want to bring you back up to verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Love is as strong as death. Do you ever think about that? Death is something that people think of being as permanent. But love is stronger than death because Jesus rose from the dead. So jealousy cruel is the grave. Jesus defeated death on the cross. And back to that first part again. And he did it out of love. For God so loved the world that he sent. If he didn't love the world, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. Jesus could have conquered the grave, but he did it because of love. Now, jealousy is cruel. People misunderstand God all the time. All the time. All the time. They misunderstand him. This does not mean cruel as the way we usually think of it. It means cruel only in the sense of being severe, exacting. In fact, the Hebrew word there literally means severe. Where it's, they translated that as cruel, but the word, the Hebrew word means severe. Keep a bookmark here. Turn with me over to Luke 19. Are you all okay today? Feel better after spending time in that powerful presence of God? When Chloe, after Chloe gave her word, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sing the next song. And I'm, it's like I've got a permanent catch in my throat now. But she's right. Verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Sorry, Luke 19, verse 11. Now, as, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. Um, remember Jesus as a boy in the temple said, I must be about my father's business. So when you're out and about, you could, you could think to yourself, and, and I, I have to do this to rein myself in and say, what, what business am I about right now? Do business till I come. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. 
And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that any, everyone who has will be given, wait, every, to everyone who has, more will be given. I misquoted that, sorry. I'm going to read it one more time. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And so people are kind of stuck on that one side. of They're stuck on the grace side of Jesus. And he's like, there will come a time when his enemies will be executed. But we're in the age of grace. So that's our message. Come to Jesus. And, uh, you know, like God said in the Old Testament, why should you die? So he said to the people, why should you die? Return to me, for why should you die? <laughs> so at first glance, this king is a very severe person. Verse 21 again right there. For I feared you. This is the servant telling, the, telling this king. For I feared you, or I was afraid of you. We're not talking about the fear of the Lord, the godly kind of fear. We're talking about he's afraid of him. I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. The definition of the word austere is this, severe or strict in manner, attitude, or appearance. Severe or strict in manner, attitude, or appearance. Why are a lot of people afraid of God? They figure he's waiting for them to mess up so he can strike them down, right? Because he's severe. We're afraid of him. We don't even want to think about him. We're just going to pretend he doesn't even exist. Yeah, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know the character of the Father? Look at Jesus. God is severe. His jealousy of our interests and affections is severe. He said, do business to, do my business till I come. And the man's like, I'm afraid of him because I don't really understand him. I just see him. Now, he's right. He is severe. But he, understand, he, he misunderstands where the severity is placed. Do business till I, do my, be about my business till I return. But because he feared him and didn't understand him, he goes and hides the money because of fear. And so that's why it's like, out of your own mouth, I'll judge you. Because 
You knew I was severe, but you responded improperly. Did this man in the parable not fail to foresee how the master would react to him hiding the money instead of following directions? He didn't, he didn't have the foresight to look ahead and say, what are they going to be the consequences of me hiding it? And see, that came as a result of not really understanding who his master was, who his master is. Because if he had followed directions, he'd have been fine. So the master says, you knew me well enough, though. See, he knew something about him, but he didn't know him well enough. You knew me well enough to know what you should have done. Or you could put it like this. Because you know how I am, because you can know how somebody is and not really, but because you know how I am, you should have let that knowledge affect your actions. It's really the fear of the Lord, not that that's not being afraid of him, but the fear of the Lord that keeps a lot of people from doing wrong because they, uh, it, the Bible talks about that, a nation that departs from the fear of the Lord because guess what? They depart from fearing him and they go to being afraid of him, and that causes them to act improperly toward him. Because God's jealousy for our loyalty is as demanding as the grave. And we all know how demanding the grave is. <laughs> in Exodus thirty-four fourteen, in the NLT, the word said, The Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. It's fierce. Read those two verses one more time. Verse 21 and 22. For I feared you, or I was afraid of you, because you are an austere or severe man, collecting what you did not deposit and, and, you, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. Collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Underline that sentence that you knew that I was an austere man. Underline that. That is an aspect of God's character, one aspect of his character. He draws a hard line. He reaps where he doesn't sow. And he makes no apologies for what he defines as right and wrong. God makes no apologies. So when you cross over to his side of the line that he draws by accepting Jesus, you walk into his goodness and mercy and salvation and favor and grace and blessings of prosperity and peace and wonder-working faith, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that ministry of reconciliation into which you were called. Not to mention all the unsearchable riches of Christ. But to those who refuse to cross the line that he has drawn in the sand, they remain his enemies, but their time will run out. But they still have time. They still have time. And in the end, though, God's jealousy, at the end of that time limit, his jealousy is as demanding as the grave. 
Flip back to your bookmark in Song of Solomon. I want to hopefully introduce you more fully to your father. Verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames, love's flames, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. This is describing some qualities of God's love. It's as strong as death. It burns like a fire that can't be quenched. Because verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Nor can the floods drown it. <laughs> it and, and it's a jealous kind of love. All-consuming. And again, notice it translates from the Hebrew as cruel, but that word it translated as cruel in the Hebrew, severe, obstinate, stubborn, prevailing. Those are describing words for that word in the Hebrew. His love prevails. He's obstinate. He won't stop loving you. Other translations based on that, on that context there is unyielding, enduring, fierce, unrelenting, stronger, intense, and then the song used that term demanding. Based on all that, we can, we can see how some people may see God as scary. Yeah. He's intense. He's, he's definitely austere. And then, and then they see that, and then instead of responding properly, they say, I want to find out more about this person. They're afraid of him. But he makes no apologies for who he is. He is who he is. So that fear caused the servant to misunderstand the master and then act wrongfully. The fear of the Lord, which the Bible teaches, causes a person to understand God's power and character and as a result take then right action. I thought that was someone blowing their nose. It was just like a car passing by or something. What? what? Said, wow, that's an intense nose blowing. Okay, now. So how do we know that there are these two different types of fear? Turn to 1 John chapter 4. I'm not really looking to spend a whole lot of time on fear. But a wrong kind of fear will cause us to misunderstand our father. If we don't want to misunderstand him. Because that will cause us to take action that he does not respond to. We want to take action he responds to. That pleases him. Verse four, or chapter 4, excuse me, verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love. That's uh, the unrighteous kind of fear. That's the wrong kind of fear. There is no fear in love. But love, but perfect love, casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. The wrong kind of fear involves torment. Think about what that servant, he's like, I'm, a, I'm afraid of this guy because he's, he's severe. He's austere. I, you know, I mean, and so I'm going to hide this. But think of all the time that he's waiting and the master's not returned yet. The master's not yet. He's not back yet. He's not coming. Think of the, think of the, the, the stress of, oh, 
What's he going to do when he gets back? What's he going to say? I, I, I hit, because everyone, know, everyone understands really deep down when they've done wrong. Even if they're, trying, they're lying to themselves about what they're doing. People do that a lot, right? They lie about what, yeah, they lie to themselves. I, no, I, I'll justify this. this is, uh, you know, it's part of, and so he justified it by saying, I don't want to lose it. So because if I, if I fail, think of what will happen because he's so austere. He's so severe. But, but think, of the, think of the fear that must be tormenting him the whole time he's waiting for the master to return. And he secretly knows that what he's done is not right. But he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to this fragile hope that he'll just be okay with it. Verse 19, this is we love him because he first loved us. And so, you know, you, you, I think that people a lot of time, well, I can't aspire to that kind of love that casts out fear. He says, but he, in that, it says, but, perfect, but, but uh, fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So God is perfecting you in his love. And you get to a certain point, and you won't, you won't fear anymore. Because that, that, is, that is cast out of your character. It's, it's cast out. So you can apply this, though. Take a look at this. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. You can apply that to the servant in the parable. Yeah, the master is severe, just like God is severe. But the verses says he who, this verse said, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That servant had not been made perfect in love then. He's afraid, and that fear is keeping him. He's afraid because of, his, uh, because he's of something he recognizes in the master, the severity of the master. But he lets that fear keep him from getting to know him better, and so the fear remains. Because he didn't, he didn't let himself become perfected in love. The master had lots of love for the other servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of ten cities. Hmm. This is why many Christians who are persecuted and threatened with death, if they don't renounce their faith, this is why many of them are not afraid. They have no fear. Because they've been perfected in love so much that they know who they belong to. They can tell any persecutor, you don't own me. God owns me. Do what you will. They listened to Jesus when he said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but not the soul. They responded properly when God showed them love. That sentence says, we love him because he first loved us. The proper response to God's expressed love is to love him back. The servant failed because he did not respond properly to what he knew about his master. The proper response, it's so important, I'll say it again, the proper response to God's expressed love is to love him back. Why am I telling you this? 
I have a purpose. Revelation 5. Revelation 5. We started off this series by reading where God was about to take the people into the promised land. He told them four things. Number one, false worship was about to be erased and forgotten. Go in there, get rid of all the idols. Don't, don't, don't worship God the way that these people worship their foreign gods. Number two, there would be a place God would choose for his name to be honored. Number three, there was a place of rest for the people, that place where God was going to honor his name. And this land, was a re- it was a place of rest for the people. Number four, true worship is not based on personal preference. The servant's personal preference was to hide the money. That, that preference was not accepted, was not acceptable. There's lots of people who, well, I, I like to worship God this way. But is that acceptable to him? Find out. Find out. We talked about how God revealed through Jesus that his plan all along was that after Jesus died and rose from the grave and you accepted him, that you yourself would then be God's temple. That was God's plan all along, right? We talked about that. And how in Jesus, uh, all of those, the, the, or those two furnishings in the outer court were fulfilled. The, the brazen altar, Jesus fulfilled by his shed blood. The bronze labor he fulfilled when he spoke to you and washed you with the water of his word. Amen. And those things, we talked about how those things were done for you. You received them, but they were done for you. They were a work that was done for you. Okay? And then he fulfilled the golden lampstand. You get into the the holy place. We talked about that. He fulfilled the golden lampstand when he said, I'm the light of the world. Then Then he told us, you're the light of the world. And then he fulfilled the bread of the presence when he said, I'm the I'm the true bread, the bread of life, the bread which comes down from heaven. Amen? The, 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 the brazen altar was a place, it was the, sacri- the sacrifice for salvation. That's the entry point. A lot of people stop there. I'm saved. They just want to kind of hang out at the, at the brazen altar. They don't want to go any further. The bronze labor represented the washing for service because that the priests washed at the labor before they could enter in to the holy place being washed for service to serve God and then the bread of the presence it, that represents the knowledge of God's word how well you know this and then the golden lampstand represents how well you understand it that's what Jesus said, whoever, be careful how you're hearing. You take time and you really listen. He said, to those who take time and really listen, more understanding will be given. Now, the altar of incense. We didn't talk about that, that yet. That stood at the entry point into the Holy of Holies, the altar of incense. Now, prayer, well, hold, hold on a second. I got ahead of myself. Revelation 5, verse 8. Now, this is, um, I'm not going to explain all this. This is a, a, a whole lot of stuff has already happened before here. You can go back and you read it for yourself. But there's one point in here that we've got to get. Revelation 5, verse 8 says, Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, that's Jesus, took the scroll. Four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What is it? What are the bowls full of? 
is the prayers of the saints, and those are represented by incense. The altar that stood before the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense. Prayer is how we talk to God. It's communication with God. There's many different types of prayer, many different ways to communicate with him. The altar of incense, then, represents communication with God. Those prayers, the Revelation talks about how those prayers rise up to God like a pleasing aroma. He enjoys your prayers. The prayers that are, that are spoken in faith, prayers that are, are spoken in line with God's word, he loves those. And as I studied this out, I thought, a thought occurred to me. And it was this, well, anyone can talk, anyone on earth can talk to God. And, that, and that's true. It is. Anyone can. If unsaved people couldn't talk to God, they wouldn't be able to confess Jesus as their Lord and, and have him respond. Is that not right? Because who are they confessing to? They're confessing to God. Jesus is my Lord. That's who they're telling. But we know that we, we know he responds by saving them. Right? When they say, Jesus is my Lord, and they believe in their heart God's raised him from the dead, then the Father responds to that statement by doing what? By saving them. By saying, okay, now you're one of mine. Okay? So I asked God about this. I'm like, well, but see, anyone, I'm, I'm not understanding this, Father. Anybody on earth can talk to you. So why, why, why this altar of incense? Why does this, why does this stand here? And in my heart, I heard these words. He said, not everyone can communicate with me on the level of being my child. Not everyone can talk to him on that level. Anyone can talk to him, but can you talk to him on the level of being his child? And I saw it. We talked about this before. I mentioned this around Mother's Day. We talked about how motherhood is an office. It's a position of authority, of nurture, a position of instruction. And I spoke to the mothers, and I told you all, I said, you, you, I, said you, I said, we could all pray for your kids. All of us here can pray for your kids, but only you can pray for them on the level of being their mother, on that level. And we can't fully understand how the depth of that. But we can, we can get a hold of that surface level of, well, yeah, you're, you're the only one who's their mom. So you can speak into their life on that level. As a pastor, I can speak into their life on the level of being a pastor. But only you can speak into their life on the level of being their mother. And the same thing is true for fathers. Or anybody. Any, uh, I mean, uh, a law enforcement officer can speak into your life on the level of being an officer of the law. Right? But it's a two-way street. Anyone can talk to you or make requests of you, but only your kids can talk to you or make requests of you on the level of being your child. Amen? Well, in the same way, because you've said out loud that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can now communicate with, speak to, sing to, Pray to God on the level of being his child. Because Jesus paid the price to be able to adopt you into God. P 
people pay tens and tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a child into their family. But how precious is the blood of Jesus that he purchased you with? So he he paid the price to adopt you into into his family as a full-fledged child with full rights and privileges of being a child of the king. The goal of every pastor and teacher should be to instruct God's people in order to get them out of poverty mindset, out of orphan thinking. Don't think like an orphan. You're not an orphan. Don't think like that. Any other, any, any, any other stronghold? Any other stronghold that will keep you from understanding the true character of the Father and the blessings he desires to bring to his children. Or I could put it this way, the blessings that he desires to bring to bear for you. You ever heard that expression, bringing something to bear? Bringing to bear the full might. Turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. You all okay with this so far? So this is a continuation of what we've been talking about. The incense altar. The place you make communication. Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled the incense altar because he adopted you as a child. Now you can speak to the father on the level of being his child. You fortunate thing, you. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, so a Gentile, not a Jew, not a Hebrew, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he told the woman. He's like, I'm I'm here for God's lost sheep. I'm here for the Israelites. Now, we live in the time that that now Jesus has opened it wide for everybody. But at that time, in that place, it was only honorable for him to come back and come and call the people who were already in covenant with him first. Do you ever notice, if you read the book of Acts, that Paul, would, the first thing he would do is go into the synagogue and preach Jesus. And there was always a division because Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. People would be divided because of me. So he, he would preach Jesus in the synagogue. Some of the Jews would believe, some of the Jews wouldn't believe. But then there came a point when he would say, now we're going to withdraw. The ones who believe in Jesus, we're going to withdraw from here. And now I'm going to take this message to the Gentiles and he, there was a time he told him, he said, because you judged yourself unworthy of the blessing. You refused Jesus. And so, but it was, honor, it was only honorable first to seek out God's lost sheep and then to move to those who would hear. So the, God's a God of order, you see. There's a, there's a procedure. And so Jesus tells her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Time's not yet. 
But God's so good. Verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him. How many people would worship God after he, they get a no from him? This woman's a, she's a firecracker. She's a, she's a, uh, I will not let anything stop me, kind of a, kind of a, it's like, it's, a, it's so moving. It's like, wow. Thank God for people like this. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it to be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, doesn't it seem at first like Jesus is being kind of cold? Maybe even austere or severe. This is why people who aren't careful can misunderstand God very easily. Because you have to understand that this woman was a Gentile. She didn't have a covenant with God like the Israelites did. She had no covenant with him. She, she could not talk to Jesus on the level of being in covenant with him. She could only talk to him on the level of an outsider. You see? She could talk to him. He could understand her. But she could only talk. She couldn't, there was a barrier. She couldn't talk to him on the level of being in covenant with him. So when she spoke, God could hear her as an outsider. Not that he wasn't unwilling to meet the need. But Jesus is simply saying, there's a procedure first here. She, ha she really had no right to ask for what she was asking for. She had no, no legal ground whatsoever to ask for that. People in today's culture, uh, they feel so entitled to just, well, anything should just be mine if I want it. No. Because then nothing has any value. So. She could not make requests from God on the level of being one of his chosen people. But there is something else God responds to outside of covenant that has the potential to bring a person into covenant with him. And that is faith. Turn to Galatians 3. thinking I was going to have you turn to Galatians today. Galatians 3. God is so good. Got to love how Paul is so blunt. Verse, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. He's calling them this because they're trying to they're abandoning the grace. They're, they're getting over into law. They're like holding traditions like, oh, we're going to observe this day, this time, this season. We're gonna, you know, and he's saying, that's foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before 
whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The only, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, and are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness means in being in a good position with God. An unsaved person does not, does not have righteousness. But then when they ask Jesus into their heart, God's like, now you're righteous. Just as Ab- Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So you're blessed with Abraham. What, what were the Abraham? What was the blessings that God extended to Abraham? Health and prosperity and protection. And the word said that we have a better covenant based on better promises. The promises of Abraham then supersede the the the, the, the Mosaic law. And so then, how does it how does it supersede that though? It does it by faith because it said so. Then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, or you could say along with believing Abraham. But if we have a better covenant based on better promises, we ought to have all that they had in the, in the Mosaic law and more, which that completes this whole thing because the blessings of Abraham were far-reaching. The Bible said Abraham believed God, and because he believed him, God said, you're righteous. As simple as that. Without realizing it then, the Syrophoenician woman that comes to Jesus and is crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Without realizing it, she was following Abraham's example of reacting to God in faith. Because Jesus says no. And she's like, I'll worship him. But Jesus says uh, it's, not, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. That's a response of faith. And so, because she responded in faith, Jesus said, okay, it's yours. <laughs> the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. God supplies the grace and we must respond with our faith. And that's the same faith that God gave you in the first place because the word said that God has given to each one the measure of faith. So he gave you something to respond with. People choose can choose to respond with the faith that he gave them or with their fleshly training which says, "No, you can never be good enough, you can never be smart enough, you can never be wise enough, you can never be." And just fill in the insert the blank whatever you want to put there. 
Let me put it this way. An unsaved person's faith has the potential to bring them into fellowship with God. Has the potential to do that. And that qualifies them to be a participant in that children's bread that Jesus mentioned to the Syrophoenician woman. See, because it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a response of, okay, God, I believe you that Jesus died and rose from the dead and that he can be my Lord. Amen? And so the children's bread, is, we've heard it said before from the pulpit, I've heard it said many times that healing, Jesus called healing the children's bread, but it extends much further than that. Because, the, the, yes, the, it said that the girl was healed from that very hour, but she's demon-possessed. There are cases where, yeah, there, there's healing required. Sometimes it's deliverance. But the, but the point is, is that anything that Jesus brought and anything that Jesus was doing among the people was the children's bread. And he's just, you know. And so uh, what that does, it's like, it's, uh, you know, us, me and Becky were talking about it before. It's, it's like the one man came to Jesus, and he's like, he's like, Lord, please come and heal my son. He's at the point of death. And Jesus said, unless you people see miracles, you'll by no means believe. He wasn't saying that to disparage the man. He was saying it, he was making a statement. This is why I do these works, so that you believe. I want you to believe. And you know, as you, now that you're a child of God, after you've accepted God, or you've accepted Jesus, now that's the same bread that you carry to a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. So, cast out some bread. By listening to what the Holy Spirit said, this is how you talk to this person. This is what this person needs. I had a weird dream last night. I, uh, I dreamt that Tammy and I were off in some foreign country. And I'm like, yeah, right, like we could afford to go there. We're off in some foreign country. It's kind of a touristy place. And so we were out like doing tourist things. And there was a lady that walked by us. And this is in the dream, right? So it's like this is, you know. And uh, she says uh, she's speaking in a weird language. And the, the nation that we were in is an English-speaking nation. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. And it was like... Something's not right about it. And uh, then she started talking to, uh, to me in English, and I said, and I'm thinking, we got to address this. Because I said, well, what was that you were speaking? She said, oh, that's a, it's a charm that they taught me in Nigeria or whatever. So it's like a, like a, essentially, it's an incantation. It's a spell, a spell casting. In, in a it's witchcraft. And I'm thinking we got to deal with the witchcraft. But the Holy Spirit directed me in the, in the dream. Okay, this is just an example that happened in a dream. Holy Spirit directed me to her foot. She's wearing sandals, and she had a huge outgrowth on, her, on the top of her big toe. And, I'm, and so the Holy Spirit showed me that. So I said, do you mind if I pray for this? She's like, no, you can pray for it. I said, can I pray for it in Jesus' name? She said, yes. I laid hands, me and Tammy and the kids all laid hands, and we were praying, you know, and we watched it shrink and go away. And she's like, wow. And I said, now let me, I said, don't put your faith in, in uh, 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 spells and things. I said, put your faith in Jesus. But you see how we can think, we see, we identify something in someone's life, and we think that's the thing that we need to deal with. 
but hang back and see what the Holy Spirit says because he might say deal with this thing first so that then we can deal with this. Amen? And so, so yeah, the Syrophoenician woman just responded in faith. She's like, I, I believe you can do this. I will not stop. I will continue. And so I was talking about that. I was, I was uh, talking about it with Alan, actually, we were talking about it. And uh, he said, well, you know, he said, you know, that's what we all have to get over into. He's like, that's what we all end up, those who accept Jesus, because we, we, have to, we have to respond in faith to accept Jesus. I said, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Amen? And so this, uh, this is, it's a big help to be able to say, well, we've got this children's bread. Because... We're giving them this bread because we want them to be children of God. You know, we want them to accept Jesus. And that's a big help because the gospel message is offensive to a lot of people. And we can start looking austere to the world. And they can start looking at us as severe. The same way they look at God. And that makes them, a lot of them, ooh, we're kind of afraid of you. Go to John chapter 4. How am I doing on time? I'm over. Shame on me. John chapter 4. Look down at verse 34. So this is the woman at the well now. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, the exchange between Jesus at the, and the woman at the well. But one thing to keep in mind is that she's standing at a well. The word said in the Old Testament, we'll draw with, with joy from the wells of salvation. There's a reason that Jesus had this meeting place with her. Because he's like, if you had asked, I'd have given you living water. If you knew who asked you, give me a drink. If the servant knew his master more than just, oh, he's austere, he's severe. We got to know him. We've got to know him. Know the Father. And then learn to know who you are in relation to the Father. I'm getting ahead of myself. John 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labors. Did Jesus not say that that man was an austere man who reaps what he does not sow, harvests what he does not plant? The more you know your father, the more you begin to look like him. And Jesus says, I sent you out to reap for what you have not sown. So then you become one who reaps where they have not sown. But see, notice, 
constant communication between the Lord of the harvest and his reapers. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for him to send more harvesters into his fields. And that's not just a one-time prayer. So constant communication between the Lord of the harvest and his harvesters. We are the harvesters. He is the Lord of the harvest. Any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of organization needs proper communication, right? So that constant communication between the Lord of the harvest is like children getting to know their parents. Like I said, we've got to get to know our father more and more, better and better. The first thing that, that children learn from their parents, assume it, uh, we're saying good parents, okay, not, not bad parents, good parents. First thing they learn is their parents meet their needs. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, and the baby's hungry. I, I, I cry. My, my parents feed me. I, I, I'm, I'm scared. I'm in trouble. I call out, who comes? Mom and dad. Then they, they get a little older, and they start to learn who, see, they learn their father. They learn their mother. This person cares for me. This person protects me. This is what the father wants to do for us. Okay, but then, then the children get a little older, and they start to learn who they are in relation to their parents, Right? Oh, they don't want me to do this. They've, the, my parents have now set a boundary for me. Don't know if I like that. But at least they're learning, they're learning who they are. They're, they're learning what they can and cannot do. They're learning what they can and cannot say. They're learning what they can and cannot ask for. Boundaries. Then they learn how they relate to their parents. How do I, how do I make requests? How do I address my parents? Then they learn, then, you know, they get to a certain point where they start to learn from their parents, okay, there are certain adults who I can say no to. There are certain adults that don't warrant my parents' trust, right? Cost of communication with the father. Learn who he is. Learn who you are in relationship to him. Amen? See, because how else can we... Get the work done. Amen. Okay. That's all I have for you today. We're not done. Oh, yes, right. We have communion. Thank you. You ready to take communion? Okay. Ready to tell God how much you love him and what he's done for you? <laughs> Remember what he did for you on the cross? Search your heart. Ask him for forgiveness if you need it. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, if you haven't taken it yet, you can take it with me. If you like, go ahead and hold up the bread. Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming the bread of heaven. Thank you for your broken body that heals me. I remember and I remind myself that is an undeserved blessing. Thank you so much. In your name, go ahead and take the bread.
Lord, take the cup. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that represents, that's represented by that brazen altar where you chose to let yourself be sacrificed for me. Thank you, Jesus, for entry into your family. Thank you so much. Search my heart, Lord. Show me where you want me to change. Show me the points you want to alter, things you want to tweak. I want to please you. I want to honor you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take the cup. Father, I thank you for everyone here. My brothers and sisters, people who are well worth me pouring into, thank you so much for them. It is an honor, Father. So, Father, I ask that you show them more and more who you are, what you desire, Lord God. You just shower your love upon them, Lord. You shower your, your goodness, your peace, your mercy upon them, Father God. Blessing without measure, Father. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing it into their life, Father God. Provide them with what they need. Food, clothing, rent. Provide them with their transportation, Father. Give them their daily bread. Help them to forgive those who say and do hateful, hurtful things. But, Lord, I, I thank you for the ministry. I thank you for the service that you've given for us to do, this work that we each have. And I pray you help us all to be reminded of the call and the gifts that you've set within us. And help us to stir them up, remind us to be about your business. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. Bless you guys.